Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. And I said to him, what can you see? And I'll now get emotional because it still freaks me out. This, But he um, he turned to me and looked at me square on in the, in the face. And he said, what I can see is a woman with life-saving instincts. Oh, my God. And it was just like one of those moments. And, and I just thought, I hadn't, you know, it was, what, what's going on in my world? Hey everybody, here we are at that crazy time of year, in between Christmas and New Year, when no one knows what to do with themselves, well I never do anyway, (laughs) as it happens this year I'm quite busy, but if you find yourself with some time, what better way to spend it than with me and Ellie and our very special guest today. So today we've got Tabin Almond with us, and Tabin is a This Naked Mind coach and just an absolute inspiration. I won't say too much about her story because she's going to share in depth. But it's fair to say that Tabin has had some huge life events, both from from health, in in her personal relationships, work, many different things. Um, And she's come through and she's such an inspiration now to many other people and she helps them find their alcohol freedom. Tabin had seven years alcohol free at one point and she talks about what it was that happened in her life that caused her to go back to drinking and the huge learnings that she's had since then and and um, how it opened up this wonderful space of true liberation and uh, that's something you've heard me talk about before and so it's just really nice to have somebody else on the on the show sharing their story with that too so that said if you want a bit of extra support for january come find us in the facebook group and um yeah that's about it right without further ado i'll hand you over to me Ellie and Tabin. Happy in-betweeny bit between Christmas and New Year. Hello, welcome to the Present and Sober podcast this snowy Tuesday. It's super snowy in Cambridge, which is beautiful. The kids have had a great time. Dogs have had a wonderful time channeling their puppiness. Coco barking at sledges yesterday. So, I've got a really special episode today. We have a wonderful guest here, and this is a very special lady who I've now, we're just discussing, I've now known her for nearly three years, which seems really, really bizarre. Um, So the lovely Tabin and I trained together as um, uh, when we were in the first cohort of uh, this Naked Mind Coaches trained online. So we have the wonderful Tabin Armand here. Hello, Tabin. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Oh no, it's great to have you here. Um, So so we trained together all that time ago, which just seems crazy now. And uh, I mean, what a a six months that was. And so it was wonderful to get to know you during that time. And we thought this was going to be a really great opportunity to get you on. There's there's some really interesting and different uh, subjects as part of your story, which we'd like to get into. And then you have something very exciting to share with everybody at the end so you have to make sure you listen to the full episode because there's a special announcement towards the end something that you're definitely not going to want to miss so Tabin where's the best place to start with your story um well I guess my story is probably like so many other people who who go on to develop problems with, with alcohol in later life that I grew up in a family where alcohol was kind of 
omnipresent. Uh, both of my parents drank. My mother really quite problematically. And um, most of my life, um, I'm ashamed to say, but it's true, I kind of hated her for it. I didn't understand it. I thought she was weak for not controlling it. You know, all the things that the sort of cliches about alcoholism in inverted commas. Mm. And I just really resented her for it. Um, and then, of course, I started to behave in exactly the same way. So that caused all sorts of real sort of inner conflict and turmoil and, you know, buckets full of self-loathing because there I was, I'd been so mean in my head. I wasn't actually that nasty to my mum, but I, I was angry inside and resentful. And then I started doing exactly the same thing. And and yet socially that seemed fine, but I knew in my heart of hearts it wasn't. Mm. Um, and once I left university, I went pretty well straight into advertising. And advertising in the 1980s um, you know, was a very heavy drinking culture. So I fitted right in. I did really well. <laughs> I, could, I could hold my drink and... Um, uh, and for a while, everything was fine. I, you know, I was, you know, I, I think I, I was sort of pretty well permanently half pissed, you know. But, you know, we regularly would go out drinking at lunchtime with, and I was on the media planning side. So I would um, be wined and dined by the media owners, the newspapers and TV stations, etc. And it was completely normal to go out and have a gin and tonic first and then plenty of wine with, with your lunch and maybe a glass of port afterwards. And then go back to the office mm. and then come 6, 6.30, roll over the road into the pub. And uh, it was just, you know, looking back on it, it was insane. Mm. Um, but I think that's where the addiction probably, you know, took hold. I was quite far down that picture plant mm. um, um, and then got married and had kids. And I didn't have any problem not drinking during pregnancy. And I, I hear that so often from people. They say, well, how come, I, you know, I've had my kids. I was fine when I was pregnant, but as soon as they're born, I seem to have gone back to it. Mm. Um, and I think you had the same experience, didn't you, Ellie? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And it's, I, I, I still find that, I think it's just, you know, there's that really deep, you know, maternal hormonal thing that that we, we know that we don't want to damage that little unborn baby. But once we're not doing any immediate physical harm to them after they're born, it seems like all bets are off. And that was certainly the case yeah. for me. The, yeah. There's just something interesting. I just want to say at this juncture, because you just really hit on something in that it's incredible, isn't it? How we can have so much care for another being. And yet we can't have that care for ourselves. Absolutely. And, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, that, that was deep for me, but then equally, at the time when I was going through my pregnancies, I didn't, it sounds really silly. I didn't realize how harmful alcohol was back then because there was no way that I would have gone looking for any more evidence as to why I shouldn't be drinking. You know, I kind of mm. knew it wasn't good for me, but I, I had no idea how bad it was for me. Um, but yeah, it, it just struck me then as you were talking, just how, you know, and I think that's quite typical that we can be very caring and loving towards others and nurturing towards others but typically it's not something that we're great at in looking yeah, after ourselves yeah and I think also at that stage I didn't realize that alcohol was a, a form of self-harm I just mm. I just didn't didn't understand that yeah. I 
you know, it's obvious from the point of view of hangovers, but I didn't really understand that that the consequences went any further than that mm. and that mm. life could be a, an awful lot better in every aspect without alcohol. And mm. that it took quite a long time for that penny to drop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I guess by my sort of mid to late 30s, I knew that I that my relationship with alcohol was troubled. Um, and I went a couple of times, maybe to half a dozen meetings, something like that, to Al-Anon, because I was mm-hmm. sort of projecting all of this onto my, my parents, really. Um, and I don't remember an awful lot about those sessions other than being in tears from beginning to end of everyone. I just found mm-hmm. it incredibly emotional. And I just didn't understand what was going on. And then I thought, okay, this isn't actually so much about their drinking. It's about your drinking. That's where the issue is. You can't change other people, but you can do something about yourself. Mm. So I then went to AA um, for a few sessions in London. We were still living in London at the time. Just didn't, just I, I didn't. It didn't feel like me at all. I there was nobody who, you know, there were there were lots of. It sounds really judgmental, but there were guys who'd just been released from prison for beating their wives up and stuff, and I and I just, I I, I felt like a complete outsider there and also this labeling thing I thought I'm not an alcoholic I haven't done any of those things that these people are talking about I just don't feel right and Mm. I think alcohol is to blame but I I couldn't I certainly didn't identify as an alcoholic don't think I ever have really Um, and then we moved to Devon and of course the problem doesn't go away when you move house (laughs) and uh, um, so I started I tried AA down here, um, which was better in that there were more people sort of like me. I didn't feel so um, sort of different. Um, but the labelling thing really got to me. And and the whole idea of having to stand up and say, hello, my name's Tab and I'm an alcoholic. And I, and I was thinking, is that really? I've got to say that every week for the rest of my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just felt very negative, very, very sort of... Um, unhappy and yeah. most of the people there seemed unhappy as well mm. um so i then um just went on a sort of a quit lit fest really I, I read so much um and read the alan carr book and then thought and that really resonated with me and i thought okay i, I get all of this um uh, but it, it wasn't quite sticking i wasn't able to change my behavior i was sort of understanding the principles and everything but not just not being able to put it put it into practice long term Mm -hmm. so I then did um, a one-on-one hypnotherapy day with one of his um, trained hypnotherapists in London which at the time was just brilliant I you know you're not sort of like completely unconscious hypnotized but but in a very like a deep trance at the end and he just repeated a lot of almost like mantras and he he said things like you know when people offer you a drink you'll say no thank you I don't drink and you'll think I'm so glad I don't drink anymore and those things went in really really deep but you know and and, you know because I can still remember them um um and the it it doesn't go into a huge amount of science doesn't go into the the sort of the, the what happens in your body with alcohol it's more on the sort of social cultural you know you don't need this stuff 
Mm. Um, and and I think the guy was very good. He kind of took the time during the day to get to know me, worked out that I'm quite a perfectionist. And and once I've said I'll do something, I'll I'll do it. So that was I think he used that quite a lot in the, the hypnotherapy session. And it it was great. I didn't drink for seven years, um, wow. which was actually pretty awesome because mm. um, and it made a huge difference. Um, and I, I was able to um, to cope with quite a lot of stuff. My father was um, uh, he had some form of dementia. It was never diagnosed whether it was Alzheimer's or something else, but he, he was sort of getting um, worse and worse. And with my mum's drinking, that was all quite problematic. Um, and and just sort of coping with that. And it's it's dementia's horrible because it's that sort of you lose the person twice kind of thing. Yeah. So there was that. Meanwhile, my husband had um very, very bad depression. Um and there were all sorts of problems. Cut a long story short, um he whilst I was still not drinking, um, I worked out that the depression was to do with his sexuality and um I actually asked him if he was gay and he got incredibly angry and, and defensive mm. and I thought yeah you're right and um, took quite a lot longer before he he was ready to say he was mm. um well, he's obviously bisexual rather than completely gay and I think sexuality is very much on a, on a spectrum anyway yeah. but that was you know the combination of of that you know and meaning the end of the marriage but also his very serious mental health problems I mean that you know because he he'd known this all along all his adult life and kind of buried it and suppressed mm. it and so that really affected his mental health so he was in a in a bad way um uh and so in the sort of couple of years leading up to us splitting up things were very very unhappy and difficult um and so and he, and he also his way of sort of dealing with things was to spend money we didn't have so we had oh. horrific financial problems as well yeah. uh, so it was a bit That's of a perfect lot. storm yeah a lot of stress and 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 um he after he'd sort of come out um he went off to australia uh, initially just for a little while it landed up being two years um and that was at the beginning of november um and i had well, I was diagnosed in January with breast cancer. And the weird thing about my breast cancer was that I um, I had had a lump um, and it was just, it was being checked. So I was having regular mammograms like twice a year and mm. had been for like four or five years. Um, and, you know, every time I'd get a letter saying, Jim, Mrs. Armand, happy to say, it's nothing to worry about. Um, and... After John had gone, I had another of these mammograms, sort of, I don't know, it was probably early December or something. Um, and between Christmas and New Year, I got the letter saying, dear Mrs. Armand, nothing to worry about. And that night, I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought, and it was a really strong, like, deep intuition. And it was exactly the same kind of physical feeling that I had had when I realized that John was gay mm, and mm. on the basis that that had been right and it'd been like I don't want to believe this but it, I think it's true I thought 
I need to do something about this. You know, I just don't think that that's right. I think there is something the matter. So I I saw the doctor very early in the new year, and and explained, and uh, he sort of looked at me and said, "Yeah, <laughs> you sure about this?" And I said, "Honestly, please, just I want it checked." Um, and um, so the, the the GP knows me quite well. But the joy of living in the in the countryside, you know, you do know you do, you know your doctor. Um, and uh, so I was referred into the hospital. And by the end of that week, I knew that I had breast cancer. But the, oh, nice. it was just the most surreal thing that I went into the hospital and you, you see a consultant first who's, who's like actually a surgeon. And she took one look and she said, yeah, I don't like the look of this. I'm glad you're here. And she said, what will happen next is you'll go upstairs in the hospital. They'll give you another mammogram and then you'll have an ultrasound. Now, the guy who does the ultrasound will not volunteer any information, but if you ask him outright, he will tell you what he thinks is going on. So I had the mammogram, and then I was shown into a room where they were going to do the ultrasound. And uh, he he came in and he said, oh, well, I've just had a look at the mammogram. Everything looks fine. You know, so tell me why you're here, because you only had one three weeks ago or something. So I said, I, I, do, I can't really explain it other than I've got this really, really strong intuition. Mm. and um and it i can't get it out of my head i just really believe there's something the matter and he said well and he was kind of an, almost a, like a little bit patronizing he you know sort of almost so there there you know let's 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 just do this and, and then you don't even stop wearing your pretty little head sort of thing mm. so he did the ultrasound and he was looking at the screen and stuff and i said to him what can you see and i'll, I'll now get emotional because it still freaks me out this but he um he turned to me and looked at me square on in the, in the face. And he said, what I can see is a woman with life-saving instincts. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it was just like one of those moments. And, and I just thought, I hadn't, you know, it was, what, what's going on in my world? You know, uh, everything seems to be falling apart. And now I've got, and he said, what I can see, and he showed me on the thing, uh, is a four and a half to five centimetre tumour. And it was a thing they called a DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ. Um, and and he said, you know, he said there's there is no doubt. He said it's it's absolutely, you know, and because it's so big, it's 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 really obvious. And he said, I I think and I hope that we will be in time. He said you will be okay, but you're going to have to have some pretty horrible treatment. Um, he said, um, we'll get biopsies done today so that we know exactly what we're dealing with because there are different types of breast cancer. But he said, there's no doubt that this is a tumour. Um, mm. uh, and he said, given its size, it may have spread. So we will need to check all the lymph nodes, not all the lymph nodes, but check the lymph nodes. Um, and the amazing thing was, that I even with that news, and because I didn't realise I was going to find anything out that day, I hadn't gone with anybody. I was on my own. Mm. And... And you, you sort of go into autopilot. I went into town because I needed to buy a birthday card. And I bumped yeah. into a friend in, in WH Smith's and she just took one look at me and said, are you okay? And I said, no, not really. And I told her. And she's a very sort of like, she's really kind hearted, lovely person, but she's, she's kind of quite sort of matter of fact as well. And she said, oh, that'll be fine. Sally, you know my friend Sally? Well, she had that. So I'll get her to ring you tonight. Bless her. This friend Sally did phone me, and she she was and she I saw her last week. She's been an absolute rock. You know, she was just brilliant. Um, so 
but even even then I went home on my own to an empty house with my husband having gone you know first week of January never the best time of year mm. and uh, and I didn't drink you know there was alcohol in the house but I didn't drink I didn't it didn't cross my mind uh, and then I sort of had you know uh, uh, then you know it was all confirmed and my daughter was coming home for a reading week from uni so I told her about it and then we worked out I had to tell my son who was um, in his first year at university um, and got through all of that got and I had my first operation so I had a I opted to do surgery and then chemo I just kind of wanted to get rid of it because of the the size of the lump mm. I had to have a mastectomy there was no lumpectomy on yeah. offer it had to be the whole breast so I had that and at the same time as that they did the um they test the lymph nodes so they put this funny dye in and then that shows up uh, so that they know where the lymph nodes are and they they take a, a sample from from a, a number of them to see and in my case they tested seven and it was in all seven oh, so and that was when, when I found that out, I was with uh, my daughter and my brother had come over from Switzerland where he was living at the time. And so and then suddenly it all got, it seemed to get a load more serious because they were talking about, you know, bone scans and all the rest of it. And I'd lost friends to to, to breast cancer, you know, and, and one had, it had got into her bones and somebody else had been brain tumours. So I suddenly thought, Oh my God, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make mm. this, you know, mm. and my poor children, you know, their father's off, you know, living the life of a gay man in Sydney and, and not in the best of shape. And, you know, if I go as well, you know, um, mm. and so when we got home that night, um, my brother and daughter opened a bottle of wine and I just said, I think I'll have a glass. And, um, and I probably drank a bottle, you know, I, I was mm. just, um, I was, you know, that, drinking to not be there just to be yeah. numbed out yeah and um my daughter the following morning thought it was hilarious because she'd never really seen me with a hangover um because i for the previous seven years since she was sort of what 13 or something i, I hadn't drunk so she probably had seen me with a hangover but not knowingly mm. um uh and um so uh and i didn't drink a lot straight away because I was having loads more surgery and then chemotherapy and it's hard enough to keep anything down when you're having chemotherapy. You certainly don't use, yeah. But gradually, once I was better, um, I I started, I just went into my old ways. And and I've actually got it on my website, I've got a photo of me with a scarf wrapped around my head because I had no hair, celebrating the end, the final day of my treatment, which was the last day of radiotherapy, with a glass of Prosecco. And I yeah. look at that photo now and I think that's just so messed up. But I didn't, I just didn't know, you know. Mm. Um, and the irony of celebrating the end of breast cancer tr treatment with alcohol, which contributes to people getting breast cancer, <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's just mm. mind-blowing yeah. really. But um, so, you know, and I, I, even though it makes me emotional thinking about it, I always share that story because I... Well, I now know of at least one person who has followed up on a mammogram that they, you know, and and been diagnosed as actually having breast cancer. They're not infallible. They're really good, but they're not infallible. And they think it's something between five and eight percent of cancer, breast cancers can be missed by a mammogram okay. because they go yeah. on the 
density of the breast tissue and just it just it's a bit luck of the draw really mm. um so i always like to share the story just because i think it's important that people know if you mm -hmm. if you're worried make sure you have two tests not just the mammogram so a, a, either a, a scan or a, an ultrasound just so that you can rule mm. it out yeah mm. um, but, can, uh, can you just tell us a little bit more about how that intuition manifested because like what what a fascinating thing that do you know to have that guidance yeah. on on yeah on two different occasions with two very you know very different things but the way that you described it was like I, I I can't ignore this like this is too it's too big can you tell us more yeah. about how it felt yeah. it's um, funny enough I had it another time and I ignored it um the first time it happened was the morning after John and I had got engaged and I um dropped him at work and he he kind of leaned pecked me on the cheek and got out the car and I remember sitting in the car afterwards thinking there's something that's not right about this and it was a that was a very very deep feeling and it was like you know that's that is not you know fairy tales and stuff aside that's not how it should be when you've just agreed to spend the rest of your life with somebody that just doesn't feel right and the thought process I went through was actually, well, you're bloody lucky somebody's asked you. You probably won't get asked again. You know, and it was that real not good enough stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I literally ignored that deep intuition. Um, uh, and I mean, I, I can't regret it because John and I are still friends, and I've got two wonderful children. So things are what they are. But, but. I, I now can see that you know my, my instincts were were obviously quite right then and the mm. thing with with John it was just um it's a real feeling very deep in 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 your in your sort of belly sort of under the rib cage a real sort of contraction there and a um real feeling of tension in the core of your body um I can't really think of a better and um and if you stop and think about it, then, you know, things like your heart rate goes up and, um, uh, but it's, that's not the instant thing. It's just this really, just, a deep, you know, people talk about a gut feeling, don't they? Yeah. And it is in the gut. Yeah. Um, and just everything really, really tense inside. Um, um, not in the head, not in the shoulders, because normally for me, stress, I would say, oh, it's in my shoulders, I stop going hunch yeah. up like that but this is completely different yeah um mm. uh and um and as i say with the with the breast cancer it literally i woke up in the middle of the night with that feeling and thinking about it and i hadn't really paid much attention to the letter i just thought oh that's good you know and you know so it was the subconscious telling me hang on a minute this isn't as good as you mm. you know um, yeah so it really really you know and, I, and i'm fascinated in that sort of mind-body connection. And uh, I recently did the Jolene Park course that I know both of you two have done. And I found all of that that side of things just fascinating, really. Yeah, um, it's a, I think it's, if I had my time again, I would be, I wouldn't have ever gone near advertising. I'd have been into nutrition and holistic health, I think. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah it, it is so all interesting. fascinating. And it's, yeah. uh, it's it, to me it's, it's it's just so interesting because we have this deep connection and it's over the years it's just obscured you know I 
there's so many times where I've had that feeling and just as you say, I've ignored it um, to my detriment. And then it's only with hindsight, you can kind of see, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's not that you want to change how things like I wouldn't change any part of my life. It had to be the way that it, it was. But the thing that's been so beautiful about removing alcohol from my life is to have that state of clarity more often than not so that yeah I, I feel I like connection yes. and mm. you know I've gone through some stuff very recently personally and I I I just knew I just knew and it, it just as you described it's like I don't I don't want this to be the case but I know that it is and yeah. so having that courage to be able to turn towards something that you could be extremely fearful of and it, it's not easy by any means but I always think of the um, when we were in coach training Annie always talked about easy now hard later or hard yes. now easy later and so whenever I'm faced with one of those moments I kind of hear Annie's voice because that always to me rings true you know and so and, and so I just think there's this wonderful gift with not having alcohol in the way because it gives us the uh, presence of mind and the capacity, the confidence, the courage to be able to deal with these sorts of things. We're all going to have things in our lives, circumstances that are challenging. And to know that you have that life-saving instinct, like you've got everything that you need inside, it's the most Absolutely. wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think if you if I had been drinking at that time, I, pro I might not have even woken up that night in the middle of the night, or, or yeah. I would have woken up just thinking, oh, why did you drink so much last night? I, or I might not have listened to that, um, uh, you know. And and if it if it had gone much later, you know, the cancer was was obviously on it on its way. I was really yeah. lucky; it hadn't spread any any further. Um, but you know, it 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 was it was in the lymph nodes, and that's how it spreads around the body. So. Um, you know, I was incredibly fortunate um, to, and and I'm so grateful always that I I knew to listen, listen to what was going on inside. Yeah, um, mm. even in a in a fairly confused and not really understanding way, but I did pay attention, and and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and so it's and our instincts we we use so little of what we're capable of. You know, oh, our subconscious yeah. Is, yeah. is such a massively powerful thing. Um, and we just scratch the surface, really, don't we? Mm, we do. We do. Um, which kind of brings us nicely yeah. on to the, the other subject that we wanted to delve into. And this is, um, as you say, just what the subconscious is capable of. And yeah. so you had this really rich experience with hypnotherapy, which is, yeah. like, again, yeah. is fascinating. Um, but then the you know you you've then had that period where you've gone back to drinking can you take us from there in terms of what happened next and how you found your way into the world of this naked mind yeah um as i say it was it was seven years and it wasn't till things got really really tough that that i drank but um looking back on it i can see that the the belief that alcohol has the power to solve problems yeah. <laughs> which is completely rubbish but that belief was there and and hadn't been addressed um and 
so um i i slipped back into my old patterns of drinking which um because i live in a rural area have to drive they tended to be to go out not drink a lot but then drink when i got home so mm. i was doing a lot of drinking on my own um and um you know yeah i used to sort of make jokes about you know sort of you know unexplained bruises and stuff i was just walking into furniture you know and uh um and you know and get, going to bed far later than i meant to because i would just oh i'll just finish off this bottle and all of that nonsense and so and i was sort of low level hungover a lot of the time i remember you know i moved house during that period and to where i live now and i can remember sort of standing in the shower just thinking oh not another morning where I feel sick. Um, and yes, well, well past there being any other explanation. It was a hangover. You know? <laughs> and, um, and it's just, um, and, and the self-loathing really built up again as well. Um, and so I, I sort of, I toyed with the idea of AA, but I thought, no, I'm not doing that again. It, you know, it just doesn't work for me. Um, but it, it's quite, um, it's quite frightening to have, and, and I know a lot of people I coach have been through that, have had the period of being alcohol free. Then they start drinking again. And it's really hard to have that faith and confidence in yourself once you've broken a long period of being alcohol free and slipped back into your old patterns. You just think, oh, that's the real me. That's I'm destined to be like this and very sort of fatalistic. Mm. Um so I just started, you know, I think that probably all of us come across this naked mind by Googling, you know, am I an alcoholic and things like that? Or how can I stop drinking and, you know, drinking too much? And and um, the, this, the sort of, you know, once, you know, I obviously sort of clicked on one link and started, you know, getting served lots of ads and that sort of stuff. Um, and and I, I kept reading about it and, and and thinking, this sounds really good. It's, this all makes sense. And I loved, absolutely loved, and still love the idea that this is not our fault, but it is our responsibility. Yeah. I'm not a defective human being. I'm just somebody who got addicted to an addictive substance, end mm. of. Mm. Nothing wrong with me. I'm not an, any sort of an ick. I'm just a human who happens yeah. to get addicted to something that's, that's addictive. And I, I just loved that. Um, and there was a period where I was sort of like, I had this sort of cognitive dissonance going on in my head because I thought I really, really like everything that, that Annie's writing and, and that, that I'm reading here. But, and, and you two will get this as, as sort of Brits, and I'm quite a sort of, you know, reserved person. And there's sort of the heavy cell and the, and you don't just get this, and you get this, and you get this, and it's not this much. It's I've taken all this money off, and I thought this is just a con. And I remember, I, re I thought this is just some sort of scam, um, and um, and I really, I was so resistant. And um, the number of times I nearly signed up for mm -hmm. whatever I think it was the intensive, probably, and then didn't because because I thought no, no, no you just you'll never see that money again. It's you know. Uh, or it's just a heavy sale and, you know, it's it's all shiny on the front. And there's nothing underneath and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so grateful that I actually one day 
but and I can remember, I can remember exactly where I was, where in the office, and this ad came up, and I just thought, fuck it, I'm never doing this. Yeah, and yeah. I put it on a credit card because I didn't have the money. Um, and I thought, I've got to sort this out. Just you've got to trust somebody. This woman seems legit, just do it. And I did it, and I put my credit card details in. And about 10 minutes later, I went and got a cup of coffee. Thought, what the hell have you done? You know, that's you haven't even got that money. What have you done? Honestly, best decision ever. <laughs> but it was um and so if anybody if anybody's listening to this and sort of you know particularly for us Brits because I've a lot of of us I think felt the same same thing it's just a cultural thing we do things a little bit differently and I should have known that you know I work in advertising and I worked I don't know but um and I know that you know American marketing and advertising is just much more brash and in your face we're very subtle yeah. and we use wit and and you know wry humor yeah. and irony and stuff don't we but but no it's just in your face and and uh but it was such a good decision and i i did the signed up for the intensive uh course and one of the very first things because uh, at that stage we were so lucky because annie was coaching it herself um mm-hmm. and um uh and she she said oh Tabin, you're introducing Tabin. that's an unusual name and i said well, actually it's uh it's really Catherine, and I couldn't say it when I was little. I said Tabin, and she said that. She said, oh, "I love that. It's so empowering. You named yourself." That's and, true. and I'd never thought about it that way. Yeah, so that's, I, I claim that now. Oh, I named myself, uh, but it was just, and I loved it from from the word go. And um, I can't remember the when we started, but it was only a matter of weeks into it. The idea with the intensive, a bit like the um, the Freedom Accelerated, was you did sort of two months where you could be in the pause if you wanted to and then you uh, did the alcohol experiment at the end um from from the word go I was hardly drinking because it was sort of like making sense and then um in May I was doing the moonwalk which is a a charity walk at night like 26.2 miles in London in aid of breast cancer um and I was doing it with another friend who had breast cancer just after me and both of our daughters and um, my daughter's friend and three other friends. So there were eight of us doing it all together. And the night before, it's it's like overnight on a Saturday to Sunday. On the Friday night, I was with my daughter and we were, went out and had a meal where she lives in London. And I, um, I had a glass of wine in front of me and it wasn't particularly nice wine. And I just said to Lucy, do you want to finish that off? I don't want it. Mm. Um, and I and I said to her then I'm done with it I don't want to drink mm. anymore and I hadn't finished she knew I was doing this course um, and uh, and that was it I haven't drunk since so it felt right you know, sometimes yeah. it's, you're like I was about to do a charity walk for breast cancer booze and breast cancer we know all about that don't we so um, yeah it just seemed right so I haven't drunk and that was 2018 May 2018 so and I haven't and I haven't the joy is I haven't wanted to I've sometimes had that thought when there's a half bottle of wine in the fridge of a wine that I particularly like I'll think that's the stuff I used to drink I could mm. drink that and I'll say yeah I don't want to and that's mm. wonderful that's uh, that is just the really empowering thing and the the process of just going through um and I think the difference between um the hypnotherapy and this naked mind is with this naked mind we talk about the difference between liberation and fixation and yeah. the hypnotherapy there was a fair degree of fixation still it was uh, there was a, 
I didn't feel actively deprived, but it was a, a thing that I mustn't do kind of yes. thing. Mm. Whereas the difference now is, this is a thing I just don't want to do. Mm. Why would I want to do that? I know how it works. I know what the, the what the process is. And I know how unhappy it makes me and everybody else who gets involved with it. Um, and so, you know, I just can't envisage the circumstances where I would think that having a glass of wine is a good idea. I just, yeah. Uh, it, and I love that. Yeah, It's a really key point. And I know I haven't said a lot, but that's because Ellie's been asking great questions and your, your story's <laughs> fascinating. So I've just been sat here taking a day off, just tuning in. It's great. <laughs> All right, Sam, um, <laughs> But it's a really key point you make. I think it's something um, that a lot of people might not have heard before. Um is that freedom to me is not being free. It's not that you never have the thoughts again, per se, mm. is that you see them yeah. for exactly what they are and they're no longer yeah. charged or sticky, I call them. They no longer have that mm. kind of stick to them. And I've, this is a lot of the same, tr this this is true in kind of the ideas in and around mindfulness as well. Like I think a lot of people, they have the idea that also oh, the idea is that I'm going to walk around and, and, and be thoughtless. But actually qu the quiet mind or that kind of state of being present it's not that you're not thinking it's mm. that you're you're just you're you're sat you're watching from a different place you're you're in a different yeah. perspective so and to me see, now like yeah. yeah if you get that thought of like it wouldn't even matter it, it's a different thing right yeah yeah I, I often use because I think often when we're coaching people get really sort of upset and and, and I can think of one client in particular and she's sort of I keep thinking about it Tavin those thoughts will come you've been drinking hard for 40 years those thoughts will come into your head but it's how you react to them just say it's just a thought and of course if you go to your office Christmas party and it's the first time you've been not drinking there, there's so many sort of circumstantial reminders there of what you have done in the past or what you could do now that it's inevitable almost that you will think about having a drink and I use the analogy um my son lives in Bristol and looks out on the Clifton Suspension Bridge, which is stunning. And I don't know if you've ever been walked across it, but unfortunately, it's a, a notorious suicide spot. So when you walk along the Clifton Suspension Bridge as a pedestrian, there are all these signs along the side, say, you know, for sort of Samaritans and, and lots mm. of, you know, if, you know, basically charities to help people who are feeling really depressed. Um, and you can walk onto the Clifton Suspension Bridge having never thought about suicide before in your life. But by the time you get to the other end, mm. it is in your head as a possibility just because you get all these prompts telling mm. you not to do something or, or who to, you know. And and I think that, that often those thoughts about alcohol are just like those signs, really. They, they're they inevitable that if there are lots and lots of prompts around you, the thoughts will come up. And you can't switch them off. I love what Emily Fletcher says, you know, that um, you've got as much chance of stopping thoughts popping into your head as you have of stopping your heart beating just mm. by wishing it. So it's it's yeah. not possible. They do that. We're, we're thinking sentient beings, but you don't have to act on them. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the. It's also one of the reasons why I think as much as something like flipping a thought can be helpful. So, for example, in, in Alan Carr, a lot it would say if you have that thought, um, you know, remind yourself how grateful you are that, oh, well, that yeah. means I don't yeah. have to. It's yeah. not that that doesn't work to some extent. It's like working with the content of it. 
But if you go to the next level, which is seeing the nature of the thought, which your um, example of that of the of the bridge is is perfect at highlighting, is that you don't need to just start convincing yourself about oh I, no I don't want to do that I don't want to jump off the bridge. Actually, you're like oh that's just the thought like that that's yeah. that's that's yeah. a phantom. It's like a monster under the bed. Like when you're a young kid, yeah. in the end you're like oh there actually aren't monsters under the bed. I don't need to like you know you look once or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. you're like, oh yeah. And then you turn the light off, you get upset again. Yeah. Oh, my dad come back or whatever. In the end, you just go, oh, I realize the nature of this. It's not real. Yeah. And that's what, that that to me is like a, it's a really different thing to actually constantly having to challenge a thought, which may make a lot of sense for a little while. But in the end, we kind of go, oh, they never were me. It's got nothing to do with what I want. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not, it's totally. just not. So I don't yeah. need to go to war with it or battle it or any of that. And that's freedom as I see it. Yeah, yeah. And also the freedom just to make make the choices you want. Yeah. You know, um, you know, unencumbered by by alcohol's sort of persistent nagging, you know, at you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, good on you for leaning in despite that that UK uh scepticism. Because I was kind of, I, I was thinking back to when um when I got the invitation to the live alcohol experiment. So this is the first time I found myself in a funnel, yeah. as they're called. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell is it? Alcohol experiment. And I lo- I loved the language around it, like it being an experiment. And it, it just really resonated with me. I really liked Danny. I really liked the um, PDF about moderation that I've read. And the the thing that was a sticking point for me was spending $47 on myself. That was kind of like the first hurdle to get off. Like, I don't want to spend $47 on myself. I can't do that. And then I thought, well... I'm not going to drink in January, so I'm going to save about 400 quid and, like, yeah. <laughs> really compare. So I thought, oh, why not? You know, go on, I'll give it a go. And the thing that was um, really funny was that after I'd signed up for it, then these videos, you know, you start to get drawn into yeah. it and you've got these videos to watch and what have you. And so I'd gone from knowing Annie to this guy with a beard pops up. I'm like, who the hell is this? <laughs> not the exact same thing as you. I've been scammed. I'm in some kind of cult here. Like, who's this guy with the beard? And we later yeah. find out is Scott Pinyard. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, and you know, it was, um, it was obviously for me, I've talked about it so much. It was such a great experience. And, and actually the, the investment side of things, well, there's two parts to it. There is the, the deep knowing again, that knowing mm-hmm. that this is the right thing that, despite the fact that I don't spend $47 on myself, I'm going to, because I'm being led there and being guided by my gut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and then because I'd invested in myself, something shifted like, and I, and I wouldn't necessarily be able to describe it, but something shifted in me. And that investment meant that I showed up to everything. I wanted to get my, I'm a Northern. I wanted to get my $47 worth. And so I went to it, like I did every bit of pre-work every journaling exercise, even if I didn't want to, even if I thought, oh no, this isn't relevant to me. I did everything, went along to every live. And that's how you can really make a difference in your life. Mm. By, mm. You know, it, it, it's it's all around to me, it's this being willing to be wrong and to to start listening more carefully, more acutely to that voice. However, whether it's a heard voice or a felt voice, that that thing that's guiding you, yeah, and I think it's that that curiosity. If you if you can accept that things aren't as you want them to be, if you knew the answer, 
you would have been able to sort it. Therefore, you have to be curious about what the answer might be, what mm. alternatives are there. And that was really what was guiding me to like, you know, okay, so you've tried quite a lot of things and they haven't worked. And here's somebody telling you that this is something that really does work, and particularly for people like you. So mm. why would you not give this a go um, mm. and go into it with a, a sort of really open mind? Just listen and take it all on board. And like you say, do the work, do the reading. Um, and, um, you know, I, I literally have lost count now of the number of copies of This Naked Mind that I've bought and given away. <laughs> <laughs> Gave one to some someone the, just the other day. I'm very excited to hear how they got on. Um, yeah. So, well, so I here keep, we are. Keep uh, my signed one, uh, the one that Annie signed for me. I've got, and I'm not giving that one away, but all the others. <laughs> yeah. oh, it's such an awesome story. I'm just, I'm thoroughly grateful that you would share it so sensitively with us. It's, it was beautiful. To, like I've known you for oh, a long you. time, yeah. but I, yeah. I, I didn't know the depths of your story um, as you've told it today. Mm. And it's been real privilege to to be. Uh, a part of it and so here we are we're now some three years on since embarking on know, or coming up to three yeah. years since embarking yeah. on that training and how much has changed and what's happening and in particular what would be lovely is for you to tell us a little bit about what you're up to and then I'm not going to spoil it but the the bit the grand yeah. finale of the thing that yeah. you're really <laughs> up to because I'm I'm very yeah. excited about yeah. it yeah. Mm. so um I um qualified at the same time as you Ellie but probably a few months later because I was working full-time and, and it took me a while to actually do all the, the the things to certify um and then I worked at my coaching one day a week so I cut my job from five days a week to four days a week um now anybody who's worked in advertising or marketing knows that five days a week is you know you're trying to do four days you still land up doing five and a half anyway so um and I was struggling to see how I could um, kind of make the switch to coach full time because I was loving it, um, mm. but not um, just not having enough time to do it. Um, and then um, my mum died, and I'm happy to say that thanks to everything I'd learned in this through this naked mind, our relationship was on a fantastically strong footing. Then um, I was really, you know, you know, I wasn't sitting in judgment on her at all, and we never talked a lot about her drinking. But the irony is when after she died, she never closed a window ever when she went online and I sorted out her computer for my brother. And the number of times she had been to my website was oh, wow. insane. I know, just Aww. mad. Yeah. And I had no idea. I mean, I knew she'd looked at it and I was very careful when I wrote my story not to kind of write anything hurtful. Um, um, but it was just mad. <laughs> just you know incredible so but after my mum died she left me and my brothers a little bit of money I thought okay I've got the financial cushion so I resigned from advertising and uh, so since uh, February of this year I've been coaching sort of full-time um, uh, and it's just been great and you probably you know so you sort of work out what your sweet spot is and and I think for a lot of us, the people we relate to best are people with similar stories to our own. Mm -hmm. So um, my my sort of sweet spot I can't I can't use the word avatar I, it's too too jargony for me. But mm -hmm. but I, the people I really love coaching are tend to be 
fairly senior professional people. Um, um, and and I coach people, you know, and, and also people who, who have maybe been successful and have uh, retired or halfway to retirement, um, uh, where there's a bit of a feeling of, mm, is this all there is to life kind of thing. Um, but with the professional people as well, there's often a lot of shame and fear of being found out, if you like, um, uh, because they're in senior positions. Um, mm. And um, so so they that would tend to be one-on-one coaching with people like that to just help them kind of overcome the shame. And of course, once you know this isn't your fault, you're not a bad person, this is, this you know, Becoming addicted to alcohol is inevitable if you keep on drinking it uh, in large enough quantities. You will become addicted. So it's just mm. a fact of it's just yeah biology, isn't it? Um, um, so those are the people I work with particularly, and I'm doing quite a lot of work now with um, with companies talking to um, through their well-being teams um, to um, help employees be aware of. The, the dangers of alcohol and become just aware of their own drinking, but also where to turn if they think they need help. But also, um, and this is much more of a long-term thing, um, to try and educate, and that's not too strong a word really, um, HR departments um, about the fact that, because just because somebody has a problem with alcohol, it doesn't mean they are an alcoholic and they're never going to be any good and that you should get rid of them. That with the right help, those people can overcome that, their problem and go on to, to be incredibly valuable, productive mm. members of the workforce. Um, but actually in the UK, a lot of people have a clause in their contract that says, if you are incapacitated, unable to perform your duties due to drugs or alcohol, you may be summarily dismissed. Mm-hmm. so if you've got that in your contract you're not very likely to go and talk to hr about the fact you think you might have a problem with alcohol um so that's you know if i could make one change in the world um you know uh, that's what i would love to change just to to have a more enlightened attitude so that that people can talk to their companies and get help without fear of being dismissed um mm-hmm. and it's a really long-term thing it's not going to happen overnight i know but just raising it so i do quite a lot of um, speaking um, for, to companies and, and organisations uh, about that just to, to try and start spreading that word. Yeah. Mm, mm, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very rewarding stuff to do, yeah. And so uh, that, that's an amazing mission. And I think good yeah. for you. Like, so cool. But yeah, here we are. Big reveal. Tell us about this super, super so, exciting thing. Yeah, so this exciting thing is in response to things that clients have said to me, um, I have put together a, a pretty awesome retreat, which I'm calling the reset retreat. And the, the reset bit is that so often people say, I know the things, I, I get it, I understand all of this. I just need a bit of time out to kind of literally reset, to immerse myself in this and to to start to practice self-compassion rather than Mm self-sabotage and I just need some time and so often I'm coaching people and they'll say god you know I don't don't get five minutes to myself you know Mm -hmm. and so to remove people from that kind of very harried pressured and often let's face it we put that pressure on ourselves 
but remove people from that for five days. Um, and it's um, there's two of us coaching, myself and Anna Donaghy, who um, is a, a, another coach. And she and I have worked together in advertising. She's still working in advertising, so she's coaching part-time. And we're friends and we've worked together for a very, very long time. So I know that we, we've worked together a lot, so this will, will be great. Um, so we're coaching on alcohol every day, um, but we've also put together a package of great self-care, self-compassion kind of experiences. Mm-hmm. So we're not just going to talk about meditation. We've got a guy who was a Buddhist monk for seven years coming and talking about meditation and taking us on uh, a sort of like meditation journey, if you like, both you know inside and outside. Um We've got uh, a fantastic yoga teacher. We've got this most incredible woman who does breath work. It's like, I sort of think of it as extreme yoga breath work. Um, And she calls it psychedelic breath work. Um, But anybody who's done any breath work, you know, you sort of, you know, we know just even the sort of the four, seven, eight breath work where you breathe in for four, hold for seven and exhale slowly for eight. That instantly calms your nervous system. So if you, it, what she does is that on steroids, really. And it's just amazing. Um, got a fantastic writer, a lady called Sally Page, um, whose novel is now available in Tesco's, if anybody wants. But um, um, she has had quite an interesting life, to put it mildly. Uh, her first book was published when she was 60. Um, and she she's a great journaler. So she's going to do a session on journaling uh, and journaling in its own right but also as a route to creativity um so i think that'll be really interesting we've got uh the a vegetarian chef coming um and she'll do a, a session on on vegetarian cookery as well and the final one the the um, retreat is going to be um at a beautiful country house in the middle of dartmoor which we've taken over the whole place um and we um it Dartmoor is, is very wild and, and remote and it's got lots of amazing Bronze Age ruins like stone rows, stone circles and things. And we've got a, a guided walk and sort of tour of some of these um with a with a, a, a lady who knows Dartmoor really well and she'll explain the what we're seeing and stuff. Um uh so, so that's an opportunity to kind of go back in time because it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty fascinating what you know what was going on then but also it's right out there in nature I mean it's so wild and beautiful um it's a very small retreat there are only um seven rooms so if everybody shared there would be a maximum of 14 people I don't anticipate they will so it'll probably be somewhere between 10 and 12 women women only um uh, just because it's such a small venue and we thought that our dynamic was going to be easier if it was just women we tend tend to find more women than men in most of our programs anyway but so um um yeah and it's happening the end of february beginning of march 26th of february beginning of march um and it's there's a whole load more information on my website um which is wine to water coaching.com but um yeah i'm really excited about it i think it's going to be great and the whole idea is just to give people the chance to spend a bit of time on themselves and yeah. reset sort of so it's for it's not for people who can't go a day without alcohol because we are asking people not not to drink during during to be alcohol free so they need to know that they can even if it's 
you know, with a bit of encouragement, they can be alcohol free yes. for five days. Um, uh, but I know that there are an awful lot of people in that bracket who, who can do it. But, uh, you know, in that pattern of repeated day ones, um, which is just the worst place to be. It's horrible at stage. Um, so this is about just reset, focus on yourself, start to value yourself and love yourself. Because the one thing that I know is that alcohol is self-sabotage and the antidote to self-sabotage is self-compassion, self-care, self-love. And that's really what this retreat is all about. So, yeah, very excited about it. Yeah, sounds beautiful. Amazing. Yeah. It's kind of what I wish I could have done. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really powerful yeah. thing to build. Like those kind because yeah. we're so invested in those things. Well, we'll yeah. be sure to put um, the link to your website and all that kind of oh, stuff in you. the show yeah. notes. So for thank anyone who's yeah. thinking, oh, God, I didn't have time to write it better, write yeah. it down, then uh, don't worry. You can just go click the show notes and go find out all the stuff that Tabin's doing. And yeah, I guess, and like, I guess all the links to reach out if people want to contact you about any other kind of coaching or whatever, it's all on there as well, right? Indeed. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, this has been such fun. So lovely to talk to with you both. No, yeah. It's been wonderful. And it's, it's yeah. interesting now it's come full circle. So when we, right at the beginning, we were talking about that capacity we have to care for others, but not ourselves. So what a wonderful so, thing yeah. that you've created yeah. that is going to give people that space to really start to nurture themselves in a very very different way and really connect with who and what they really are it's beautiful yes yeah i i, I think it's going to be a really valuable experience for the people that come yeah mm. thank you so much for coming and sharing oh, brilliant it's been great really lovely to talk with you both awesome what an amazing inspiration Tabin is it's just incredible and and it's so exciting to see that she's offering these awesome things so if anyone's interested be sure to check out the links in the show notes and go to Tabin's website and look at all that stuff I'm sure she'd be very very happy to receive an email um, from you and yeah so New Year's Eve is literally just around the corner uh, enjoy it have an awesome time know that you have everything you need to have the most amazing alcohol free new year if this is your first one or your 10th one joy all those things they come from inside of us they don't come from the world they come they come through us when we fall into connection and um, the present moment and just remember who who we really are you have an amazing week and uh, see you next week